Good morning. Oh, there we go. <clears throat> Much better. Thank you, Peter. Well, uh, listen, uh, as Ray mentioned it, which sort of brought a quickness to my heartbeat, there's only two weeks left to, until Christmas. Well, two weeks and one day until Christmas. It's upon us. And I can tell by the looks on your faces, uh, you are not all ready for it. I, I have found in my years of experience that there are two types of people when it comes to Christmas. There are those who fully embrace the Christmas experience and all that comes with it. They love the people and the crowds and the presents and the lights and the trees and the food. and They love everything about it. Then there's a second group of people. Uh, those people are in total denial of Christmas. The first group we'll call the Merry Christmas people. The second group of people we will call the Grumpy Christmas people. And you will know the grumpy Christmas person because they will say things like, Really? Christmas decorations in October? Or they'll say things like, I'll put the lights on the house next week. Or, my favorite, you know Christmas trees are half price on Christmas Eve. Uh, I don't have any scientific data, but I have observed long enough to know that More often than not, the Merry Christmas people are married to the grumpy Christmas people. I don't know if that is coincidence or just opposites attract or what, but that's true. I don't know who you are, but you know which one you are. And so admitting it is the first step. So I'd like you to take a moment, look to the person to your left, look to the person to your right, and tell them, I'm a grumpy person, I'm a grumpy Christmas person, or I'm a Merry Christmas person. Go. All right. Did you get it worked out? Anyone wish to guess which I am? (laughs) Very nice. Yes, I am a grumpy Christmas person. Hi, my name's Dave, and I'm a grumpy Christmas person. Yes, thank you. So I don't know where you are on the whole Christmas happiness spectrum, but we all have a spot. And I don't know about you, but for me, Christmas represents years and years of sort of emotional roller coasters. Where we have great hope and great expectation about this thing. And then life happens or stuff happens and we get a little sad. We get a little disappointed. I remember one particular Christmas and, you know, I, I, come, from a, I come from a divorced home. And so Christmas had its own particular set of dramas. But I, um, one year I said, okay, I'm the oldest. I'm going to take upon the challenge of chopping down the Christmas tree. That was our tradition. We always went, got that weird-shaped saw, went out to the farm, started cutting down the Christmas tree. So my brother and I went out there, made the half-hour trip to the Christmas tree farm, chopped down the tree. Remember, I came around the corner, and there was this spectacular Christmas tree. It was like, oh, there's the tree. So my brother and I proceeded to chop it down. We carry it back to the car. And we're struck instantly with the realization that we have 
absolutely no idea how we're going to get this tree home. And so we decide, okay, we will tie it to the roof of the car. So we hoist it up onto the roof. And we realize that it is literally longer than my car. So it's like bowing. It's like hanging off the edge of each end of the car. So we tie the twine. My brother and I, you know, not the skilled knot people. And so we tie the twine. And about halfway home, the tree begins to wiggle loose. And the twine comes undone. So being quick thinkers and problem solvers and young kids growing up in California, we rolled down the sunroof and just grabbed onto it (laughs) and held it all the way home. We got it home and we propped it up and we thought, this is a beautiful tree. We wiggled its way into our house. We propped it up and we're struck with another realization. It is a good foot and a half taller than the ceiling. So it's now standing straight up, but bending over at the top. So we take it back out to the garage. We chop a little bit off the bottom. Bring it back in. Still too tall. Take it back out. Chop a big section off the tree this time because now the lower branches are whoppy jawed. Now you got to get it all trimmed up. Bring it back in. It's now a very short tree. We chopped like $100 off and left it out there on the curb. We now have affectionately referred to that tree as the Christmas tree from hell because uh, it totally disrupted our Christmas experience. And I don't know about you, but we all have those moments. We have these whole big expectations of Christmas only to have life happen and they come dashing to the rocks. And I don't know where you are, but for some this year, Christmas may look different than the past. Maybe you have been through a breakup or a divorce and you find yourself feeling a bit alone this year. Maybe this is your first year without a mom or a dad or a loved one. And that sense of grief has made you not want to even think about Christmas this year. Or maybe you've recently moved or somebody has recently moved away from you and you're trying to find friendship. That sense of loss, absence of friendship has maybe robbed your holiday spirit. Christmas doesn't feel like Christmas. We all have different things in our life that impact our readiness for Christmas. Maybe financially you're having a hard time finding joy because of all that Christmas means to the bottom line. Christmas just doesn't feel like Christmas. Maybe for some of you this morning, Christmas feels more like survival. Again, I don't know where any of us stand specifically, but whether you're a Merry Christmas person or a Cranky Christmas person, I want us all to find joy this morning. We sing about joy at Christmas, but I want us to experience joy this morning. So if you have your Bible, open it up to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's chairs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home, take that Bible home with you. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, everybody should have a Bible at their disposal. So take that one. We have more. So 1 Peter is a a letter written by a guy named Peter. Excellent. You guys are very on top of it this morning. Peter was a friend of Jesus. He was somebody who walked with Jesus. And he was a part of Jesus' ministry. However, he's writing this letter some 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. He writes this letter to a group of Christians in a young but rapidly growing movement of believers. These believers are in a tough spot. 
The Roman government has begun to tighten up things for these Christians. It's begun to bear down on them. Many of them are losing their possessions and some of them are losing their lives in the name of Jesus. They're being persecuted. They are facing difficulties of all kinds. So 1 Peter, like many other letters in the New Testament, are written to a bunch of Christians who are having a hard time finding joy. And Peter uses a pretty amazing phrase right in, in chapter 3, I mean in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, He has given us a new birth into a living hope. A living hope. Saying there's wonderful joy ahead. And then he's going to show us through this letter how we can receive that, how we can experience that. So let me read it to you. Starting with verse 3 in 1 Peter chapter 1. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I've been thinking about this issue of suffering and thinking through why is it that the Bible so often leads from a place of suffering? Well, why is it that when joy is mentioned, suffering is somewhere in the vicinity? Now, I think it's because in order for us to successfully navigate this life, we need to first learn how to successfully navigate suffering. And we only can successfully navigate suffering when we have an understanding of the living hope. There is a wonderful joy that lies ahead. Let's look at it a little bit more closely. Verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Another translation puts it this way. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation. Great expectation. Not low expectation. Not no expectation. Or a life with great anxiety or stress. We don't live in a place of tension or fear or worry. He doesn't say any of that. He says we will live with great expectation. I wonder how far... Each of us would have to go in our calendars to find a full week where we lived with great expectation. I, I, I think that many of our lives, especially maybe this time of year, are characterized by fear, stress, anxiety, 
worry. Not a great expectation. But look at where Peter starts. You see, in order to live a life of great expectation, to to understand life differently, look where Peter starts. Praise be to God. Peter knows that this is where it begins. All praise to God because of what he did for us in Jesus Christ. Peter is literally saying we are given a new life and because of the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus, now we live with great expectation. We can live a life of living hope. Everything you have will fail you at some point. Your kids will fail you. Your spouse will fail you. Your career will fail you. Your 401k will fail you. Everything on some level will fail you at some point. The only constant in this world is the gift of living hope that comes from God through a baby born in a manger. This Christmas can be better than last Christmas. Next week can be better than this week. Tomorrow can be better than today. Even if our circumstances don't change. If we change our attitude, our perspective, and where we choose to look. All praise to God because Jesus rose from the dead. And we can live a life with great expectation. But there's more. Peter goes on to say, he's... Uh, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And, and this is a monumental and, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. This means we can live with great expectation and that we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change or decay. It's never going to expire. So this week, we can live a life filled with living hope, with great expectations, because the object of our living hope is this priceless inheritance. Usually when we think of inheritance, we think of money. But Scripture uses other ways to paint the picture of inheritance. We don't have time this morning, but if we did, we'd look back to the Old Testament We'd see the Israelites, who were for a season slaves. They had nothing. No identity, no land, no property, no history. But God makes a promise to them. He gives them a living hope. He promises to deliver them into an inheritance. And in that moment, He gives them something very, very special. He gives them a home. He gives them a land. He gives them a place. What does this have to do with Peter? The point Peter is making here is we have an inheritance. And that inheritance is about being made whole, about being made complete. It's about being given a new identity. It's about having a new home. Because of the Christmas story, we are given a home, a home far greater than our earthly home. It's the hope of heaven. I was just reading this week in uh, Christianity Today an article about people who have died and gone to heaven and have returned to tell their story. And I don't know how you fall on those types of experiences in life, but 
One of the guys in the story is somebody that I've met. And his story is incredibly compelling. But what I do know about heaven is that none of us know what it's going to be like. None of us. No matter whether you think you've been there or not. We don't know. I mean, the Bible alludes to what heaven might be like. But I don't think it's going to be this thing that we conjure up with people flying around with wings and golden harps and things of that nature. In fact, the Bible, when talking about heaven, talks about it mostly by describing it what it is not. The Bible says it is, it is a place, it, it's not a place of pain. It's not a place of tears. It's not a place of death. You and I cannot possibly fathom life without pain. Life without suffering. Life without difficulties. Life without tears. We can't even wrap our minds around that. But that is exactly the inheritance that God is promising to us in heaven. Listen, if we can only imagine what heaven is like, then do this. Imagine the best things of life on earth. What do you love the most? Maybe it's a long run on a cool day. Or maybe it's a summer ride on your Harley. Or like for me, it's watching the sunset go down over the Pacific Ocean. Or maybe it's being with your kids. Whatever it is for you, multiply it by a million. And then this is what the Bible says after you've done that. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. That's heaven. It's our hope, it's our inheritance, and it's kept for us by God. Peter describes our inheritance as being pure, undefiled, and beyond the reach of change or decay. Everything we have on earth decays and goes away. Every present you buy this Christmas has a shelf life. But our inheritance kept in heaven will never expire, will never fade. So we live life with a sense of great expectation, a living hope because of this incredible God-gifted inheritance that is waiting for those who choose to believe. I like the message translation best. And I've read, I know I've read it several times, but I want you to hear it as the message says it. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. Here's what the text is saying. And this should be incredibly encouraging to all of us. Yes, life is hard. Yes, it's tough. But you have everything to live for. Why? Because we have a great inheritance. We've been given a, great, a brand new life. And there is a living hope. I don't know about you, but sometimes around the holidays, I can go into a place of real funkiness. I call it the downward spiral of funk. It always starts out in a place of sort of feeling sorry for myself. Oh, woe is me. I'm so tired. So tired. Then I move to, ah, you're so chubby. Why did you eat all those cookies? And then it's, ah, you're so out of shape. And then it's, oh, you're so old. Your body is falling apart. Then it goes to, the Bears are going to lose to Minnesota. Why can't they hold on to the ball? 
Life is wearing me out and I get to a point where I just want to lay down and take a multi-year nap. But I'm telling you, that is faulty thinking. The Bible is saying, yep, life is hard. Yep, things are tough. But you have everything to live for. Listening to anything else is a total denial of the gift God has given you. It's a total rejection of the living hope. Things may be tough. The economy may be bad. But I need to be focused on what God is doing in me and through me. I need to be focused on what God is doing to my kids and my spouse and my community. I need to see what God is doing. Things may be tough for our nation, but I can't control any of that. I can only work on my life, my family, and my relationship with God. I have everything to live for because Jesus was born in the manger, died on a cross, and rose again from the dead. I have a brand new life, and nobody can take that away from me. The government can't take it away. My employer can't take it away. My friends can't take it away. My ex can't take it away. Nobody can take that away from me. And I got to live in it. And I can celebrate it. Now listen to what Peter says. We have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts when? Now. Which means that when we leave this place today, and you get in your car, and you start to drive home, and your kids start fighting and screaming in the back seat, And your stomach starts growling. And you get stuck by a train. And all you want to do is get to kickoff. All you want to do is get home. You can be reminded that when that voice in your head starts telling you how bad things are. Then you should be anxious and fearful. While all that is happening in that very moment. You can remind yourself of this biblical promise. I have everything to live for. And the future starts now. We have a living hope. We have a priceless inheritance. But don't miss what it says in verse 5. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. You. All the people that believe in Jesus Christ. Who through faith are shielded by God's power. Until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm pretty sure the people Peter is writing to were struggling to find their joy. And questioning whether or not they can hang on to their faith during a difficult season. And verse 4 promises them, and it promises you and I today, of a great inheritance. But verse 5 promises something different. It promises God's protection of your future and your present. It's promising God's protection today. There's no limit, there's no end to God's protection over his family. Look how he describes it. In verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we have been given a brand new life and we have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. God is keeping a careful watch over us today and our future. The day is coming when all of that will be realized in our great inheritance. A number of years ago, our family went to Walt Disney World. Happiest place on earth. And uh, we went there as a family, and we had spent all day, and the family was tired, so we went back to our hotel. We had dinner. But Abby, my oldest, wanted to go back to Epcot and see the fireworks. 
And so I said, great, let's go. So just she and I went. And on the way to the fireworks, we were early. And I said, let's do a roller coaster. We haven't really done many roller coasters. Let's do a roller coaster. Well, Epcot only really has one roller coaster. It's called Test Track. And it's basically a simulated car crash. It's thrilling. <laughs> so I say to Abby, let's do Test Track. And she goes, I don't think so. I said, come on, this is our first roller coaster together. Let's do this. So we make it through the line. We get to that little guide that says how tall you have to be to be on the ride. And I said, okay, stand up really tall. Get on your tippy toes. And she passes through and we get to our car. And I can see her excitement or fear, depending on how you want to look at it. And we get in our car and we get in our seat and we get sort of hunkered down. And that thing takes off like a bolt. I mean, it gets to 65 miles an hour going around corners and this and that. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't hear a peep out of her. She is a rock solid girl. She is loving this. So I sort of glance out of the corner of my eye and she is like this. (laughs) Holding on to the thing with dear life, white knuckled. Ah! And I said, oh, what am I doing? And so I kind of grab her and I bring her over to me closer Thinking, okay, I'll just bring her to my side. I'll protect her. I will guide her. I will help reassure her that I'm here for her. And about that point, the coaster takes a 90-degree turn, comes to a screeching halt right in front of a wall, and I scream like a little girl. (laughs) I'm sure instilling tremendous uh, confidence in her father. And most likely severe trauma. But maybe your life is like that this season. You are white-knuckling it through the holiday season. You are hunkered down, screaming. But keep Peter's words in your heart. God is keeping careful watch over you, of your present and your future. And the end game of all of that is a life that is healed and whole and home. There is a better, more perfect life on the horizon. And that day is coming. But until then, Peter tells us something, and it's a good warning, and with this, we're almost done. Peter goes on in verse 6, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. This is an important thing, because your ability to experience joy tomorrow rests in which side of this sentence you're on. Whether you're on the greatly rejoiced side or the though now side. In all this, you greatly rejoice means there's a wonderful joy ahead, though there are some dark, there might be some dark stuff ahead. We all have our even those, don't we? We all have those things in our life that say, I really want to rejoice, but even though, even though your son or daughter is traveling down a dark path and you're not sure if they're going to find their way back, there's a wonderful joy ahead. Even though your marriage appears to be on the brink of disaster, there is a wonderful joy ahead. Even though you may be facing a Christmas alone this year, there is a wonderful joy ahead. Even though we will all endure many, many trials, there is a wonderful joy ahead. We all have our even those. Which are you choosing to focus on this week? Are you choosing to focus on that where I'm going to rejoice? As Peter started in verse uh, verse 3, all praise be to God. 
Or are you going to focus on the even those that are in your life this week? Those struggles are temporary. Those struggles are of this world. This is a greater hope. Here's the key to it all. These trials are here for a reason. Peter concludes this section of his letter by saying this. These have come, meaning the trials, have come so that your, uh, so that proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. These trials will show up. And they're there to test your faith, to make sure your faith is genuine and solid. It's being tested as the fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor when our inheritance is established. You know what I take from this? That God is involved in my everyday life. The dark and the light. The good and the bad. The hopeful and the unhopeful. So be encouraged this Christmas season. Because we can expect a greater future. That greater future is now. You can rejoice in a Savior even though you may struggle to rejoice in the current season. But what does that mean for me today as I sit here? Here's my whole point. And if you don't hear anything else I've said today, don't miss this. The most important gift of Christmas is God's love for us. It's not about anything else. This gift given by God through Jesus is one we can open every day. And we can live in it every day. And it's because of that gift that we can live a different life. A life filled with great expectation because of a priceless inheritance that awaits us in heaven. And we can literally rejoice. We can have a wonderful joy ahead. We can find joy. But this is a moment for those who believe in Jesus Christ. This is a moment for those people who are a part of the family of God. Some of you this morning... That's not you yet. Maybe you've been here for a while. Maybe today's your first day. But you're kicking the tires of this Christian Christianity thing. The Bible says it this way. You become a Christian. The way you receive this gift of forgiveness and eternal life is through faith. The book of Romans says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's faith. In a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer that is an expression of that faith. If you're at a place in your life right now where you are tired of running, you are tired of trying to do it on your own, you are tired of living in the even though side of the equation, and you want to experience life on the rejoicing, the joy-filled, the living hope side of life, then I want to give you an opportunity to receive that hope by placing your faith and trust in Jesus this morning to receive his forgiveness and to leave each day with it. So listen, if you raised your hand this morning, if today was your day, if you started fresh with God today, drop me an email. My email address is in the bulletin. I want to hear your story. So just take a moment today, tomorrow, drop me a quick email. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity 
to be together this morning. We're grateful that your son was born, that he died on a cross, and he was resurrected again. Because because of that, we get to have great joy. Remind us today, as we leave this place and the world hits us, remind us of your love. Remind us of your joy. Let this Christmas be the best, most joyous Christmas ever because of the work you did in our lives. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Have a great week.